You are listening to the Dream Life Designer Podcast, brought to you by My Empowered Living. This episode is titled, Why Self-Love Plus Emotional Well-Being is the Pathway to Success and Freedom, with our guest, Lisa Carpenter. Lisa is the secret weapon for driven, ambitious achievers who want to live, lead, and perform at their highest level. If you think you should have it all figured out, but know something is holding you back from having the life, business, or body you desire, Lisa is for you. Her full frontal living message encourages her clients to stop trying to do their way to success and empowers them to stay present to what they're feeling and how they're showing up in all areas of their life. Listen as Lisa shares powerful tools, principles, and strategies to create more success and freedom from a place of ease and fulfillment. Hi, I'm Uchechi Ezrike Basse, and if you're ready to create a business and life that you love, then you're in the right place. I am a strategist, author, speaker, and publisher, helping passion-driven entrepreneurs create more wealth, confidence, impact, and freedom through their purposeful businesses. I infuse my unique combination of strategic planning, mindset mastery, and universal wisdom for you to experience quantum transformation and breakthroughs in your life and in your business. Yes, it really is possible to build a thriving business doing what you love. Keep listening and I'll show you how. All right, Lisa, welcome to the Dream Life Designer podcast. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited to have you here. Well, thank you for inviting me on. I was just as excited. I think I was just as excited to sit down and speak to you. I love having these conversations. So I think it's going to be an amazing, an amazing time together. I love it. Okay. I'm going to jump right in because I've got so much for you right now. So Lisa, I mean, we hear so much about self-love and emotional well-being and you know especially now within light of all the stuff that's happening so mm-hmm. you know two-part question for you can you share one what does emotional well-being mean to you and two you know how has it led to your biggest transformation when you really committed to embodying emotional well-being that's a really big question so emotional well-being for me is about energy management right? So am I really taking care of myself? So, you know, once upon a time, I used to to spend a lot of time on my physical well-being. I've always been athletic and in the gym, but I didn't really understand the emotional well-being part. And in fact, oftentimes I used exercise as a way to numb out what I was feeling. So for me, emotional well-being is really tied to emotional fluency, right? My ability to tune in and actually pay attention to what I'm feeling use those emotions as feedback in terms of what I need to do to care for myself. So emotional well-being comprises of a lot of things, right? Like one of the things you've probably heard me talk about is rest, like rest, Mm -hmm. sleep is like the most underrated for most people. That's the first thing that they put down. Whereas in terms of taking care of your emotional well-being, rest and sleep is a huge part of that. But for a lot of women that, you know, I work with, they look at rest as being lazy Mm. or, you know, they want to stay up late because they want that time to themselves. But I can tell you after, you know, I just come off two nights where I didn't sleep super well and I can feel myself a little bit rocky, Mm. right? So emotional well-being can have to do with how well you're getting rest, how much you're tuned into your 
emotions, mm-hmm. all there, there's just so many parts of it, even your nervous system regulation. So many people mm-hmm. don't even realize their nervous system is offline and they're often in their um, sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or flight, as opposed to your parasympathetic, which is your rest and digest. So we don't mm-hmm. realize that we're, we're constantly on edge. Uh, we normalize stress. So there's just Emotional well-being is so broad. Like there's so much to talk about. So for the biggest transformation for me was understanding that emotional well-being was a thing mm. and that I was responsible for my emotional well-being, not anybody else. Meaning I'll use this example. If my kids could just behave, follow instructions and do what they were told, then I could feel better, mm. if, right? If my husband would just, you know, know what to buy me, or know what I need him to do without me having to ask him, then I would feel better. And emotional well-being is really about you taking responsibility for how you want to feel and no longer blaming other people for you not feeling well. Oh my God. I just, I want to stop for a moment. Emotional well-being is taking responsibility of how you want to feel. And I love that so much. And I mean, we, we spoke a little bit about just before hitting record, just all the noise and discord out there. And if we can just tune in and be and actually own that, we are responsible for the way we feel. Wow. I, I, I love that. I love that. Um, I, I want to ask you something too, where something that I heard you say um, in a coaching program that we're both in, that you were, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting you and you coached me in. You said something that was like a big slap in the face, a two by four in the face. And it's where what we love, we take care of. Mm-hmm. And that was just like light bulb moment because I thought back, even my own life, and especially a lot of women, we take care of so many people and not ourselves. And then it was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Does this mean, like, I thought I loved myself, but I wasn't taking care of myself. And was that became a mirror for me that showed me what level of love do I have for myself? I'm just curious, where did that show up for you? Like, how did this awareness come to you in that? That's another good question. So yeah, I say all the time, like things we love and we value, we take care of. And so often women will be spending all their time looking after everybody else. And then they hear that statement and they're like, just like you, whoa, because they recognize they're not taking care of themselves. And quite often they don't even realize that they are worthy of taking care of themselves. So, you know, when it comes to self-worth and self-love, you know, I was talking before we hit record that uh, it's been 10 years since my hubby went off to rehab. He's still mm-hmm. clean and sober. Like, you know, congratulations is super awesome. Yay. However, him going off to rehab was really my awakening to mm-hmm. myself, right? When I first started working on myself, I thought it was about, you know, how to fix my addict. Mm-hmm. And I quickly learned that it was how to fix myself. I didn't realize that I was working from a bunch of stories and beliefs and that, you know, I had just as many deep seated wounds as he did. Right. Because Mm -hmm. where you have an addict, you always have a codependent. Mm -hmm. And typically when people are deep in codependency, which is process addictions, like people pleasing and caretaking and all those type of things, they really have a very low level of self-worth. Now, if you had asked me 10 years ago, if I thought I had low self-esteem and self-worth, I would have said no. (laughs) (laughs) And then through doing this work, I realized 
all the evidence was there that even though it looked like on the surface, I was taking care of myself, I was actually completely disconnected from myself. So just because you see somebody, you know, hitting the gym and eating healthy, right? These are things that were like, oh, that person takes good care of themselves. It actually doesn't necessarily mean they might be physically taking care of themselves, but like we said, not emotionally taking care of themselves. So for me, it was really about learning to slow down, connecting with myself, understanding that I deserve to value myself in my own life, that other people in my life are valuable and I want to love them and, you know, be there for them, but what it meant to also love myself and starting to look at all these things that were showing up in my life that pointed directly to a lack of self-worth and low self-esteem and then, um, working through the, you know, all the layers, as you know, Mm -hmm. And it, it's radically changed my life. So I really encourage any of your listeners to really sit with that statement that things you love and you value, you take care of. And if you were to point that, that finger back at yourself, can you honestly say that that's how you're showing up for yourself in your own life? And like I said, it doesn't mean that you stop loving and caring for everybody else. It just means that you actually put yourself like in the mix of that, you make yourself more of a priority. Mm, oh my goodness, Lisa, 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 loving it. Um, another thing you speak often about is the power of being committed, honoring, and falling in love with the process of transformation. And I, I think there's a book, you know, Chop Wood, Carry Water. And I'll be honest, sometimes in, in my head, I'll hear you sing, Chop Wood, Carry Water, Chop Wood, Carry Water. And so, in your own words, I would love for you to explain to the, uh, to the listeners the concept of really falling in love with that process and the whole Chop Wood, Carry Water concept. So, this has been how do I explain this? None of us like to do hard things. None of us really like to do hard things. So, it's learning how to fall in love with doing the hard things as being a reward in itself. So it's that intrinsic motivation. And there's, there's also science behind this in terms of, you know, if we're always doing things, chasing something else can actually throw off our dopamine levels. It's fascinating, right? Because we're doing something. I'll do the hard thing if I get the reward, but chalk would carry water is about falling in love with the journey. So that that is the reward. The oh God, day, right? Oh my goodness. Say that again. That was just beautiful. So falling in love with the journey. So that is the reward. reward. So what I did today, how I showed up for myself today, that is the reward. Oh, Lisa, I feel like if people really grasp the concept of this, like the chasing, the striving, the I will be rewarded when I got this. Like the fact that you said that journey itself is a reward. And I know it's cliche as it sounds when people say, it's not about the destination, about the journey. But this really puts a different, I don't know, it's just for me, a beautiful spin that's filled with grace where the work that you're doing, that in itself is the reward. And so now the hard part it actually almost takes the hard part away from it because you're now like you're showing up more because that's your task for the day. Correct. Oh my goodness. I love that. You know, it's all we have is today. And I know we talk about this and people like, you know, it sounds a little (laughs) bit woo woo, but it's the truth. Like all we have is here today. So 
listen, I am the first person to tell you, I love big audacious goals. I love doing extraordinary things. I love creating amazing outcomes, but none of that happens if I don't just fall in love with what do I need to do today? Because if you're constantly chasing the outcome, you miss the actual gold. You miss all the lessons. You miss that feeling of pride along the way. So every day, my goal is to feel proud of myself. Because if I feel proud of myself for just doing the ordinary things, then it makes when I achieve the outcome that I want, it gets to be even more of an extraordinary um, occurrence. But it's it's like the cherry on top. But I've already gotten the reward along the way, if that makes sense. Right. It's- absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like that's a game changer right there. To me, that's a game changer. Okay, so Lisa, you're known as the queen of boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? This is something that you're you're big on and you really help empower people on. So, you know, how can people, and especially women, and I know I'm going to generalize here because I feel most of the time, you know, women have such a hard time um, setting the boundaries. So how can we start to create strong boundaries in our life, but do it in a way where we feel guilt-free for doing it? Well... That would take some magical potion because I never (laughs) found a person who hasn't first been learning about boundaries without feeling guilty. That just Mm. goes along with the growth of it. I think it's first, it's important to talk about what boundaries are and what they aren't because Mm. people get confused about this. And when I was learning about boundaries in my therapy group, (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. Like I literally had no idea what a boundary was. I had no idea what a boundary was. I didn't know what it meant. And when I first started learning about boundaries, I thought boundaries were about the other person. And that's why I was so confused because I was like, well, what do you mean the boundary is about me? It's about deciding what it is you want, what it is you need, expressing that, right? But then taking responsibility for the fact that you're the one that has to uphold the boundary. So it's a boundary isn't about asking somebody else to change. It's saying like, maybe I'm not okay with this. If you continue to do this, then I'm going to do this. It's not a threat. It's not an ultimatum. So a great example, uh, say you have an alcoholic in your life mm-hmm. and they call you drunk all the time and they go off about a whole bunch of stuff, right? And you sit there and listen and you hate it. It makes you feel horrible. So setting a boundary would be, if you call me and you've been drinking, I'm going to hang up the phone. It doesn't ask the other person to stop drinking. It doesn't ask the other person, like you're not saying, don't call me again. You're just simply saying, if you call, I'm going to hang up the phone. So the person calls the boundary, you have to uphold it, right? So again, taking responsibility for your emotional well-being. So you have to hang up the phone. And for most people, when they're learning, like, oh my God, this is on me. I have to do this you do have to sit with the discomfort. And that's why so many people struggle with setting boundaries because again, they want the other person to change. So they never have to feel bad, but setting boundaries is going to require you to sit in discomfort. And that's a large part of the problem of what we're seeing right now, because so many people lack that emotional fluency, that connection into what they're feeling. And as humans, we do everything in our power to avoid feeling discomfort. And part of growth, growing into the best version of yourself means you have to be willing to sit in the discomfort and not run away from it and train your body. Like it's okay for me to feel guilty. We feel guilty because we care. We, we love that person who's been drinking, 
And you're not going to die because you feel guilty. But if you continue to carry on with that relationship in the way it is, you have to look at what that's going to cost you emotionally. So do you want to feel guilt or do you want to feel the emotion of having to dance with an alcoholic all the time? And I mean, that's, you know, a more extreme example. It can be a simple boundary of like, I'm going to bed at eight o'clock. Please don't come into the bedroom after eight o'clock and wake me up. Right. It, it can be whatever it is you need it to be. And I think some of the most powerful boundaries, and I think some of the most, the, the most challenging boundaries to hold are the ones we make with ourselves, mm. right? Setting a boundary with ourselves. Like I'm not going to eat chocolate today, not because you can't eat chocolate, right? But maybe you're making a conscious choice because you've been eating chocolate every day. So you make it, you set this boundary with yourself. I'm not going to eat chocolate today. And then it's staying in integrity with the boundary you've set for yourself or work hours, right? I speak to a lot of women who want to burn the candle at both ends. Well, setting a boundary with yourself. If you say you're going to leave at four o'clock, then leave at four o'clock and stay in integrity, Right. So it's, it's really boundary setting is really about personal responsibility. And it still comes back to making a decision about how you want to feel and then rolling from there. Oh, I love that. Um, you just hit something that's just a great segue to my next question. When you talk about so many people burning the, you know, the light at the end and, you know, yeah. not feeling like they need to work, work, work. So some of the things that I know that you work with a lot of people and you speak often about is how sometimes that could be an addictive thing, right? Like we can get addicted to, uh, you know, the hustle, the struggle, and often being in survival mode. Like, what do you think why so many ambitious high achievers continue to really try to push their way to success and not even recognizing that there's another way? Because I think the first time where, I'll be honest to me, like where, um, you know, I feel, I call, consider myself ambitious. I, I've, I've achieved a lot. And I remember uh, my mother, you know, at one point, you know, single mom, you know, there was me and my sisters, $40 to her name, lived in a woman's shelter. So I, my mother was that epitome of like, you know, single black woman, the hard strength. And so that was, I adopted that. Like that was like, I just came in there and I remember before I started my business full-time, I was working in corporate and I would work like, you know, and this is in my twenties, you know, getting there at eight, I'm there six, seven o'clock, right? Because the next promotion was going to be me. And I was, you know, that was me. And so when I heard that from you and you just starting to have that concept where that does not equal success, and I can do it with ease, you know, it was almost foreign. And so why do you feel like just from, cause you've worked with a lot of women in that and what do you see has led to that? So I think there's a lot of layers to this mm. for me personally, um, working hard, chasing that thing, right? Like I remember my dad saying to me once, you know, when I, this was back when I was a personal trainer and he said to me, well, you're going to get a real job one day, right? <laughs> right. You say, you say that to somebody who's driven and it totally ignited my, I'll show you. Mm. And that was my whole life, right? I'll show you, I'll prove to you that I'm good enough, that I can do this, that I can make it. So you get really attached to that, that the doing is where you find your value. Mm. But the problem was because I was working from this place of low self-worth and low self-esteem, I was never going to allow myself to actually celebrate any of my successes. Mm. So it didn't matter what achievement I accomplished because I've achieved a lot in my life. I would just raise the bar again. Mm. 
not good enough, raise the bar, not good enough, raise the bar, right? Or I will have achieved all of these things, but there was no money in the bank. So I'm still not good enough. So I was constantly chasing my worthiness, not recognizing that my worthiness was never going to be found in any box that I ticked. It had to come from the inside. So that was um, a big piece of it for me. And then the other is, you know, we, we joke about this, like addicted to the struggle, addicted to the hustle. We learn these things, you know, from our parents and society, like we're actually told that, you know, we're the better people. If we're willing to do that, you don't want to be the lazy guy on the couch. This is why so many of my clients struggle with rest as being, you know, seeing it as a success strategy, rest is lazy to them. So we have to rewire that. Um, but that going into that hustle and struggle and the addiction of that, the truth of the matter is, inside our bodies, every time we're chasing that thing, it is an addiction and we get a dopamine kick. Mm. So we're chasing dopamine, just like the cocaine addict is chasing dopamine, right? Supports us feeling better. As soon as you sit down at a computer and you're dead, you know, you know, when you're in the zone and you just keep going and going like that was me, I was getting something from that. And when you start to slow down, when you realize that that is not actually the route to success, and I talk a lot about getting really strategic about the, doing the most important things, right? Doing them really well, making the unsexy or making the, you know, doing the, the unsexy work, basically, right? The mm-hmm. whole chop wood, carry water. Settling into that is very uncomfortable, Because now you're sitting in the discomfort of like, oh, I don't get the same dopamine hit when I'm not like chasing and striving. You really have to sit in the discomfort of slowing down. And most people don't understand why that discomfort shows up. And a lot of that has to do with, well, you're not getting that dopamine kick constantly. Mm. So there's just, there's so many different layers and nuances. And I know everybody, you know, we were talking about this. Everybody wants like, just tell me the thing. Tell me the thing I need to do. Let's make this black and white. And it's never going to be that. So, you know, if somebody listening to this is a real workaholic and doing all the time, I think it's just important to step back and ask yourself, what is really happening for me here? Why do I believe that I need to work from this place of doing more? And listen, when you are first getting a business off the ground, I think it's also naive to think that, you know, you're not going to have to put in some work like you and I both know that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. But the, I think it's Brian Tracy that, that I first heard this analogy from is, you know, for an airplane to get off the runway, it's got to go full speed mm. and then it has to continue full speed until it reaches cruising altitude. And then it needs to level off, right? Like it can't keep mm. going straight up and we have to look at our lives this way. So, you know, do the doing, put in the work you need to, to get your airplane off the runway, but at some point you have to, to, to step back and say, okay, well, what is cruising altitude going to be? What does it look like to slow down and do less? What does it look like to honor rest? What does it look like to honor my physical and emotional well-being? Because if you, you know, destroy yourself in pursuit of success, success that you're never actually going to allow yourself to enjoy because it's never going to be good enough becomes problematic. So it's, it's, it's like you still get to love the drive and ambition. I'm never not going to love my drive and ambition. I've really embraced that again. But for a while, when I was learning to slow down, I had to like, I had to put it down. I had to let Mm -hmm. it go because I really needed to understand and learn and embody the concept of slowing down. And it was 
very uncomfortable for me. I mean, I remember one of my therapists telling me to take a nap and I was like in tears about this. Like, <laughs> why would I take a nap? I don't take a nap. I'm not, I'm not that person, mm. right? My identity was so tied to the doing and the dissonance I faced when I had to realize like, what if that's not true? Who am I without all my overdoing and working mm. and being busy? It was so confronting for me. But, you know, being on the other side of that now, I can say I've achieved more success on all levels by learning how to slow down, do less, really get, you know, very strategic about the things that need doing and not getting caught in the, in the busy work. And now I enjoy my life and I love my business. It's a mm. both and it's a both and right. I can do the doing and rest. Yeah. Like foreign concept for, for most of us. Right. And what we've been programmed from before. Goodness. I love that. Um, let's talk responsibility and accountability, which I know, again, you're big on. So we both know that. And we've talked a little bit about this um, earlier, but, you know, we both know that if you're not creating the outcomes that you want, then we're not being accountable and we're not being responsible for making it happen, right? Just like you talked about the, you know, taking care of the well, um, you know, emotional well-being, self-control, we're not being responsible for that. So, you know, how can people begin to embrace responsibility and accountability in a more empowering way? So that way we can start to create the outcomes. So I think sometimes you know, when we hear the word responsibilities for some people, it's almost like a blame, like you're responsible for this. But if we can shift that, it's almost because one of the things we both know is where, you know, it's just ability to respond, to respond to environments around us. Um, But is there something else like where, like just to help people and really embrace it and really take that on. So that way it's not like a negative. It's something that could work for us. This is another really good question. So when I hear the word responsibility, especially for you know, ambitious driven people, responsibility means equals, (laughs) I must be hard on myself. Mm. And that's not what being responsible is. Responsible isn't about being hard on yourself to get there. It's about simply taking a step back and saying, okay, where am I in self-deception? Can I look at the data? And I think that that's a big part of it. So many of us work from our emotions, which your emotions are important, but your emotions just give you feedback. And a lot of people don't understand that they're caught in emotions. So being hard on yourself is actually you being uh, stuck in your emotions. It's a little bit, I won't go into all of that, but um, so being responsible is for me, it's about stepping back and looking at, can I take my emotion out of this? Can I look at the data? If I'm not getting the outcome I want, can I look at the data and t- so that I can understand what is happening instead of putting my head down, trying harder, working more, right? Like it, you really have to take a step back and see what is working and what's not working. So when I think about being responsible, it's always about asking myself those questions, what's working and what's not working. And then being accountable to what needs to change in order to create the outcome I want. Because again, doing more isn't going to create the outcome. If it's not working now, yeah. if you don't change anything, nothing is going to happen. But even, you know, the word discipline, I used to have a love hate with the <laughs> word discipline. Um, discipline for a long time was a place that I worked from. And I also believed that my level of discipline, responsibility, and accountability was what burnt me out. But again, I was working from levels of low self-worth. I didn't understand that I was constantly pushing myself as a way of proving to everybody that I was good enough. So I had to make peace with the word 
discipline. And to me now, discipline is really about self-love, mm. right? Am I disciplined enough to do the things that is going to create the outcome I want? Whereas before discipline meant being hard on myself. So we have to look at these words and change the meaning that we've wrapped around them mm. to benefit us, right? Like, so I took discipline from being this like, you know, black and white to softening discipline to actually seeing it as an act of love. Like when I get out of bed in the morning, when I don't want to, to go to the gym, people can say, oh, you're so disciplined. Yeah. I'm disciplined about how I want to show up for myself. But if I'm really tired, I'm also disciplined about staying in bed and getting extra rest, right? Discipline doesn't mean that there's no shades of gray. Yeah. So that's kind of how I look at responsibility, accountability, and, and, uh, you know, adding discipline to it is we really have to look at the meanings that we've given those words. And if they've become toxic in our life, like how to redefine them so that they work for us. Oh, I love that. Just that paradigm shift and just really just switching it for ourselves and reframing it to something that best serves us. Ooh, I love that. Now, Lisa, is there some tools, some of your favorite tools and strategies that, you know, we can start to practice and implement that can help us to start to cultivate more of that self-love and emotional being? So that way we can really start to make that a way of life for ourselves. Mm, So... I think a really big, and this is kind of a a really simple practice around self-love is starting to look at what is the relationship that you are having with self, Mm. right? Because if somebody said to me, well, you got to get to self-love, that was too big of a leap. Like, I'm like, what is, what is that? What is that self-love stuff? Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't understand what that means. So for me, it really started with a simple tool of asking myself multiple times a day, like pausing and asking myself, how do I feel? and actually waiting to hear the answer and then not judging what I was feeling, whether it was anxious or happy or disappointed or whatever it may be, right? Like just, just tuning in as a way of doing a mental health check-in with myself, because when you come across somebody you love and your family or your kids, your kids come home from school. What do you, what do you ask them? How are you feeling? How was your day? Oh yeah. And just your eyes light up and you're just, but how often do we actually stop and ask ourselves how Mm. we're feeling and acknowledge that? So it's, for me, that's what it started with was just, uh, okay, how do I tune into myself, start to pay attention to how I'm feeling. And then the next step for me, and I talk to my clients a lot about this is how do you want to feel like, have you, when was the last time you asked yourself, like, how do I want to feel in my life? And am I actually making choices that align with how I want to feel? Right. And a simple question, like, what am I tolerating? What am I tolerating in myself? What am I tolerating in others? So for me, the big path to self-love is having the courage to be in relationship with yourself, where you ask yourself questions that you might not normally think about asking yourself because you matter enough to ask yourself the tough questions and then answer them honestly and make adjustments as needed. But even that simple question of what do I want and what do I need? I can't tell you how many women don't know how to answer that because they're living their life for other people and they've never paused to say, oh, what do I want? What do I need? And having needs does not make you needy. We all have needs. We all have wants. And then you get to start asking yourself, well, if that's what I want, 
how can I start making different decisions to support that? Right. So again, not looking for other people to fill that Mm. for you, but if I want to feel more joy in my life, am I actually making choices that allow for more joy in my life? Or am I going to my job that I hate Mm. and doing things I don't like and not feeling good in my body and hating what's going on with my bank account? Start making choices that support how you want to feel. It's really a basic thing. But it's the the foundational pieces of self-care is that that willingness to come home to, am I willing to ask myself the questions that will point me back to saying, okay, this is how I'm building a healthy, loving, nurturing relationship with myself. Mm, so good. So simple. My goodness. But yet I can see just the huge power in that. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, Lisa, your business, your brand is all about full frontal living. Um, can you just share, what does that mean for you? What, what is full frontal living all about? So that came out of a conversation with a a coach of mine many, many years ago now. So I'm like, wow, that's like bold. Like people aren't even going to know what that means. And I even had one client say like, that full frontal living. She's like, it was a little bit off-putting. She's like, that's why I kind of needed to learn about you. She's like, because it was kind of like, what is that? So full frontal living in its essence is what does it look like to be completely stripped down to nothing Mm. and be in that like raw state, right? Like you think about when a baby is, is birthed into this world, right? They're completely vulnerable. They've come out of this like warm, cozy, like fairy tale land. And now all of a sudden they're, you know, having to suck in oxygen and people are grabbing them and doing this transformational work is about taking off all the layers that you think make you, you so that you can discover who you really are without them. Right. It's kind of like Joey Turbiani. All of Chandler's clothes, such a good metaphor. So it's really stripping down and are, you know, when you're stripped down, are you willing to be in the discomfort of being so raw, of being so vulnerable so that you can then discover like who, who you are from that place. So, you know, I was once a person that I wouldn't even hug people because it would evoke emotion in me. Like I was not a hugger. Now I'm like, I have to watch that. I don't maul people, you know, one day we'll get back to that where we can actually like, oh my God. hug Can't people wait. again. Uh, but I would do everything to avoid feeling. And now I walk my clients into what it means to have emotional fluency, to not be afraid of their emotions, to not label them as good or or bad, to embrace vulnerability. And that doesn't mean you're walking around crying all day long. It just means you have the emotional fluency to navigate whatever is going on in the world. So, you know, there's a lot of very polarizing things in the world right now, but because I live by this full frontal living, I'm able to say, okay, I can sit in the eye of the storm of all of this. I can be present to what I'm feeling for all of it, the, the, the discomfort, the dissonance, everything that's going on and still know who I am. Mm. And that's really what it's about. Full frontal living is really about knowing who you are, being able to come home to who you are and being able to show up as a better mom, a better wife or partner, a better business owner, because emotional fluency makes you a better leader. I love, oh my gosh, Lisa. So amazing, so incredible, so much value, so powerful. Goodness gracious, the gems that you just throw down right now. Thank you so much. And so, you know, I know the listeners are going to be like, who may not know of you, where can they get more of this juicy goodness from you? Mm -hmm. 
I have my own podcast as well. It's called the Full Frontal Living Podcast. So that's a great place to tune in or over on Instagram at Lisa Carpenter Inc. I would love to say I'm great at social media. I'm not. <laughs> Right in the in the you know do less better kind of thing. I typically will go on stories a couple times a week, and but that that's probably the best place to find me either the podcast or over on Instagram, or of course you can find me on my website at lisacarpenter.ca. Awesome, and we're going to be sharing that all in the notes uh, in the show notes here. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for your time, your incredible wisdom, and for I I know so many people are going to be served by your words. I know for me you know, going through the program that I did where I think I mentioned to you where I used to search in the group Lisa and like sometimes when I need that kick in the ass, I was like, I would listen and just binge on your lives and on your content. And so I got so much from it and I know so many of our listeners are going to get so much from this. So thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the amazing questions (laughs) and the awesome conversation. And uh, it's just, it's been a joy hanging out with you. I love having conversations like this. I love that we live in a time where we can impact the world in this way. So thank you. So good. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dream Life Designer podcast. If you found this podcast useful, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and share with your friends and family. With your assistance, I can help others cultivate their dream life through their purpose-driven business and help them gain more financial freedom. Don't forget to visit mypowerliving.com and get your free multiple income creation workshop to learn how to monetize your knowledge, passion, and gifts. Thanks for being here and thanks for listening.